Hour number two, Darren, Donick, and Chase on this Tuesday morning, live at Centennial Sportsplex. Predators conducting a little practice as they get geared up for opening night. Thursday night, Bridgestone Arena, Predators and Minnesota Wild. In fact, Preds fans, listen up to this. If you want to be a part of opening night festivities at Bridgestone Arena, Preds and Wild, stop by Cool Springs Wine and Spirits today. Located at 1935 Mallory Lane. That's 1935 Mallory Lane. This afternoon at Enter to Win. Jared and the GM will be broadcasting their show live from 2 until 6. And they will be giving away tickets to the season opener today from 2 until 6. So if you're out in Williamson County and the Cool Springs area, stop by Cool Springs Wines and Spirits. 1935 Mallory Lane. Now. We were talking about the renderings, renderings that were put out there on the Nashville Stars, the MLB Stadium, where it would be, a retractable roof. Just a little side note. I know this is not to meaning to get off on a little tangent, but I think it is important at least to discuss it a little bit. Did you see the uh, attendance that has been put out in Major League Baseball? No, I have not. No. Worse than 16 years. Went down it. again. It's gone down six out of the last seven years. It's the worst. Uh, this season was the worst attendance since uh, 16 years ago, so 2003. Just going the you know again, going in the wrong direction. Uh, there's been a trend of baseball attendance, major league baseball attendance, going down, down, down every single year. And uh, you know, baseball is going to need. Speaking of getting in a room, they're going to need to get in a room and figure some of this stuff out. We've certainly talked about a lot of options and things they could do. That are out there, but you know, the, the writing is on the wall that you're going to need to do something to get people back to your stadiums. Um. Well, it's, yeah, I I think those are well documented problems. So that brings us to: Are you saying we don't want to build a baseball no, stadium no, no, and no, go no, for I'm baseball? Saying, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that baseball needs to address uh, this and they need to do some things oh, yeah. to to help. To help that because it's going the wrong way. It's it's totally. a bad trend. You don't want to be talking about 2019 attendance being the worst since 2003. So, yep. like I said, just a side they, note. They, they, a, they actually, though, between 2003 and this year, they had a pretty good spike for a while. You know, they had some all-time highs in there. It does run in cycles historically, but I, I am not dismissing your point at all. They've got to continue to work to keep bringing people in there because it's not an issue of ha- not having nice places to play. I mean, they, most Major League Baseball stadiums, with the exception of two, You're right. Oakland and Tampa, yep. who are, by the way, playing each other tomorrow yep. night in the wild card, they've done an amazing job putting together winning teams, but the facilities are subpar. But other than that, there's not many places you go. Where like, well, this, no, they're this below park's par. dumpy. They're below par. They're way below they're par. They're dumps. But a lot of it is because the other ones are so nice. Right? You go to right. Cincinnati, just pick one. Cincinnati, Atlanta. They all have nice places to go. No question. But yet we're sitting here talking about right? the worst attendance in 16 years. Right. But attendance and is a problem more, everywhere. It's yeah, not just it's, baseball. It's football is, is having attendance issues, too. Even last night in Pittsburgh. I mean, you had two 0-3 teams. I mean, it wouldn't be the case if Pittsburgh was good. But yeah, it's but a lot it's, of yellow. It's, but it's Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Monday Night Football. I mean, I, yeah. let's be honest. They don't really. I mean, 0-3, yeah. But but they had, they had empty seats. A little bit. Yep. I saw it. So it, it's not just baseball, but I agree they, they got to work at it. So what does this new layer mean? What what do you guys feel differently? Feel the same? 
What, for, what does this mean for you when it, when you talk about this subject? What came out last night with the with the renderings and everything? Um, look, I, I'm all in. I'm all in on it. I, I would love for it to happen. I understand that. We've talked about all that. I'm saying, does this change anything? Do you feel like this is yet again another step in the right direction? Is this this is this more forward movement, or is just just well, a rendering it, that means nothing here, other than? Hey, I mean, until we, they we got, say we got in a room and this is what we this un, is our vision. Until I see a plan that has the city of Nashville's name on it and how they're going to pay for it, I can't really say it's moving forward. Right. We we've got a long process ahead. I, I think the number one thing it says to me is they at least have taken the time to put this together. Right. Yes. They could have just thrown this together. I'm assuming that they've gone down and and measured all this, the space that they have available in this little. Uh, campus that they've carved out, which, to be honest, I like I said last hour, I, I had no idea there was room to stick it in there, between the conve- the Korean Veterans Bridge, and the football stadium. So the fact that they have taken the time, I'm assuming that their measurements are right. Right, they had to get some engineers down there to do that. That took time and energy and and money, right, to get them to do all the landscaping there. Now I doubt the, this was done the, on an etch a sketch. Now, yeah. what, what we don't know is, that, you know, who owns the land? You know, who would give them permission to build this there? Who pays for it? Do the Titans have any objections to having a stadium right next to them? Because conceivably you could have, I mean, you would try to avoid it, but there could be a day where you have a football game going on at the same time a baseball game is going on, in theory. If, if this, because there's a lot of ifs that need to happen, but if, the Titans having an objection to having a baseball stadium next to theirs ends up derailing this thing, then we got bigger problems because that shouldn't be a factor. That's 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 part of being a big time sports city. But there would need to be a part partnership built. Sure. Right? Sure. Parking and, and working together to how how do we enhance right. the other? That would be the ideal way to go. This is a long, long way from going, but I think when when you put this down, and you and it looks good like this, it gives you a visual. The visual is worth something. I think it looks awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, and you can awesome. tell some time went into it, which which does give me a glimmer of hope of okay, maybe this is moving further along than we really thought it thought it was. But at the same time, you're not going to have a group. When we talk to those guys; they're not going to just walk in and say, "Hey, we're going to pay for this." This is this is a this is a hey Nashville. Here you go. We've we've done the planning for you. We're willing to put in X amount. Major League Baseball, maybe they're willing to put in X amount, but you got to pony up too. And look, we we have a we have a new mayor now, so that could change some things of what the city's willing to do. But in the past, the city has said, "Yeah, we're you know we got other stuff. We just, we just put into an MLS stadium. We got other stuff that we got to spend money on." Which I get that. That's part of running a city, but. At the same time, you gotta. I don't know how eighty-one home dates would be a bad thing well, for Nashville's downtown economy. You you have a. That's just if you just played. You didn't make the. You know, there's no playoffs. That's just eighty-one regular season games. Can you imagine MLB playoffs? And, I think. I mean, wow. I think one race weekend would be good for Nashville's economy, and they're still twiddling their thumbs on that. So, look, and I get it, but here's the thing that so many people struggle with. It takes money to make money. And if you want to continue to grow and be the it city, you're going to have to spend some money. Now, they've 
they've done that with the MLS stadium and yeah, and Bridgestone I mean, we, Arena with the growing. Predators. We're, growing. We're, we're doing a lot of stuff. Uh, I, I do stop and wonder how much is too much. Can we grow along with this? Like we have no transit plan. That that could become a big fair. issue to try to get to this stadium. Don't you think? Yeah. And you get something like this. Here's a prime example. You know what I thought of, Chase? The Hell Omega Tour. Yeah. We're going next yeah. August. SunTrust Park in Atlanta. That whole tour, Green Day, next summer is what? In the U.S. What is that whole tour? Baseball stadiums. MLB baseball stadiums. Yep. They're not coming to the state of Tennessee. No. MLB baseball stadiums is that entire tour, for the most part. Almost every date is at an MLB stadium. Right. But There's you- is going to be at SunTrust Park in Atlanta. But you have something like that. Yeah. You could also host events like we could be talking about that tour coming here. WrestleMania would come here, which I which I, I think they would probably go to Nissan Stadium anyway, but WrestleMania could be an event that you have inside a Yeah, but if it's a retractable roof? Oh yeah. Don't that you would think help. that becomes even more I mean Yeah. And look, more of a no brainer? I don't think you could play a Final Four in a in the way the stadium's laid out. Probably not. But I don't think. And what's know, the right number, by the way? I didn't see a number. I haven't seen a number. What it holds? Do you might see a number? It's actually uh, seven thousand because there's just not enough room. I have no. It doesn't I, say. I, I would say, 40, doesn't say forty would be a good number. Nah, I'd say thirty-five. Forty would be the two max. I would say too high. Yeah. thirty-five. Yeah. I think small. Less is more. Yep, thirty-five is a good number. Forty's too too much. Thirty-five is a nice good number for this city and this market. We'll come back. Switch gears to college football. Mitch Light. From Athlon Sports and Vanderbilt Sideline Reporter, he'll join us next here live at Centennial Sportsplex on ESPN 102.5, the game. Back here on Darren, Donnick, and Chase, live at Centennial Sportsplex. Switch gears to college football, even though we were kind of talking about that a lot in the first hour. Not just college football, but college athletics. And Mitch, the California governor, has signed a bill that will allow NCAA athletes to be paid for their likeness. Now... Initial reports were that this would go into effect in 2023. I suspect there's no chance it waits that long because states like Florida and others have already said, yeah, we're thinking about next year. We're thinking like 2020, and so that will speed up the process for a lot of states, including California. What what do you make of the story, and how do you think this could change college athletics? It's a complex issue, there no doubt. Uh, strong opinions yep. on both sides. Um, I tend to... I think there's a gray area, you know, to quote Fletch, you know, how gray charcoal. I don't know if, it, you know, <laughs> you know, there's there's some people that think, you know, that if you disagree with the, the if you think that just a scholarship is good enough in, in the cost of living, you know, a t- cost of attendance stipulation, if you think that's just enough, you're an idiot. You know, how you know, these guys deserve all this money. But, you know, so then there's people on the complete other side, too, that think they should be paid. You know, the athletes that bring in so much university, so much money for each university, they should be paid a ton of money. I, I, I kind of tend to side on the I'm in favor of the, the likeness, you know, name likeness I- issue. I just I, I'm just concerned about the application of it and, and the, the, you know, the inconsistencies Within the state, the the govern the, the rules in, in the law in each state, and if it's enacted in Florida next year and in California in two years, I think what will happen is the NCAA will be forced to catch up 
you know, they, there's, they, they have said that they will start to study this and they need to accelerate that and, and get a NCAA enact, legisla- enact legislation ahead of the curve, ahead of everyone else, so it is consistent. That's, that's like, I just don't know how, how do you have it allowed in Florida and not Tennessee, have it allowed in California. And that, like, I don't agree with some of the, like, the, you might have it in front of you. You know, evidently the, the governor of California was on the Dan Patrick show today and said just something like, you know, the, the whole notion of the student athlete's absurd. I mean, come on, you know, Richard Sherman came out and said, you know, uh, I, I forgot it's a similar term to that. There's, well, what does he mean by that? It's absurd. I, yeah, I, I don't know. Okay. I mean, I, it, yeah, just I, general statements like that. I mean, you, you can argue that the NCAA uh, needs to catch up to the times and it's archaic and, and the, the idea of amateurism is, is archaic. There's a lot. Again, it's a very complex issue. But the NCAA is made up, it's comprised of universities. It's not an independent, you know, it, it, it has the rules it has because school presidents want those rules. I think a lot of people who don't follow us that closely don't understand that and think it's just this NCAA and all they want is money, 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 and they don't want. Now, the, 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 to me, the, the most interesting part of this whole discussion and why I get people are attacking the schools is that, okay, let's just say that Willie Donick has car dealership in East Nashville. And you've been given, you know, $150,000 a year to Vanderbilt. But now you are allowed to pay Kumar Rocker to, and, and Jack Leiter, two baseball players, to promote your car dealership. And you're going to pay him $100,000. It's a lot of money, I know. That's good. Student athletes get that money. But you know who's not getting your money now? The school. <laughs> so that, that, that is, to me, the most fascinating issue. Unless while, while schools push back. Unless it's a partnership. That, that's, that's what I would wonder how much that would evolve. The partnership between the school, the, the fan who has a business, and the players. Right. Like, for the most part, all these facilities you see are paid for by boosters. You know, sure, it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it, schools pay for some of it. I get that. But pretty much they, they pay for that. So in lieu of paying the student athletes, they are creating these facilities these that palaces. make that make the student athlete experience yeah. more enjoyable. But you're going to ask an Alabama running back, does he want a water fountain in the football facility or does he want ten thousand dollars? He's going to take the ten thousand dollars. So it's it's such a complex issue. Um, I have come around on this. I mean, ten you know Willie, I would love you to chime in as a former scholarship athlete. Ten years ago, five years ago, I said, of course they should not be, you know, getting a full tuition scholarship is, is, is great. They're, in, quote, unquote, being paid, they, especially Division One athletes at Power 5 schools. You know, I travel with Vanderbilt football. It's a pretty good way to travel. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it, these guys are well taken they're care of. They're not taking a Greyhound bus. They, they've got great facilities, all these schools, and they're well fed and all this stuff. But I've come around also. They are generating, you know, schools are generating millions of dollars based on, on their play, so okay, so let's not pay the players. Let's let them go out and earn money. And this is not an original thought. A lot of people have said this, but I think a lot of fans would be surprised how few players really generate. I, I think at first there'd be a, a lot. You know, you, Darren, you do this, and I want to I want to get involved. And then you realize it's not really the best investment for my. You know, all these yeah. businessmen. You know, sure you'll have some people who have the disposable income that just want to keep, but right. pay but, the bagman. Right, we're, but you're we're not. All, you're not right, going to. We're keep. acting like everybody gets rich off this, and that's not the case right. at all. But it is at least an avenue for people to have this, where now they have no, they do not have any platform whatsoever. And I brought up to Willie if there is this star soccer player, female soccer player in the ACC, where soccer is really good, and she's probably a future Olympian representing this country. She has the ability to go off at Duke or wherever she's playing soccer 
and she can make money on the side where she doesn't have that now. So yeah, it's it doesn't mean everybody is going to have these advantages. It doesn't, and in a lot of cases, it'll just be for that star player. But at least it's something. It's it, as opposed to nobody getting anything now. Mm-hmm. And I was with you, by the way. I, I have always been like, it's enough. It's enough. Quit acting like these these poor kids live in dorm rooms, just like everybody else. They don't live the same lifestyle as everybody else. But I've admitted about five years ago that it's all changed. Like there's too much, so much money. money. It's billions of dollars, and so I, I've I've completely changed my stance. And here's what coaches don't want. And what do coach, who do coaches not want to hear from once the, once their kids get dropped, the, their players get dropped off at school? The parents or the AAU coaches or whatever. <laughs> so let's say you got a quarterback battle, and you know Tennessee picks Jared Garantano to be the quarterback, and he gets some sponsorship deals. Well, the backup quarterback's parents aren't happy, so they're talking to the coach. You know, you know our guy outplayed him in, in preseason and Jarrett's you know he's earned fifteen thousand dollars doing these sponsorships All right, no one's going to pay the back of quarterback we're out of here or you know my kid you, you told him he could play wide receiver then you move him to safety and you know wide receivers are generating more money on the there's there's a lot of I don't want to call these unintended consequences but I just things that would happen and coaches coaches don't want to deal with any extracurricular stuff like but that by so. the way that's already going on you know that was going on in Tennessee two years ago yeah but it's what why do you think the guy started in front of Garantano? Well, he wasn't making a wasn't getting a sponsorship deal uh, up there. Well, there was there was somebody dating a, a daughter of a rich booster, and so those that stuff goes on all the time. <laughs> I mean, that stuff's already happening. That that's not changing. But I, I, I and do that wonder. influenced Butch Jones's decision. But coaches, early on in the year, yeah, the coaches want to eliminate all of that if they can. I, I do fear of just unforeseen. We don't even know what it is now, but, but how it will evolve could be very interesting. It, and people are so driven to try to find advantages. You're right. Like a car dealership paying $100,000 to the offensive line every year is probably not good business for that dealership. And right. after a while, they might be like, why am I doing this? I, I can't afford this. is going to put me under. But there's probably some boosters that are so rich that they could payroll through some businesses, uh, you know, a lot of players over a long period of time. Right, and, and one you'll hear this argument from fans and people's like, well, all the big schools are going to get all the best players. Well, for the most part, they do anyway. That's why <laughs> Alabama and Clemson are 1-2 and two in college football every year. And, you know, I think someone posted on Twitter today, it might have been Andy Staples, who's just having a field day with this if you follow him on Twitter, uh, but he's just like, Troy fan, oh, no, Alabama and Auburn are going to outbid, you know, are going to get the best players. What am I going to do now, you know? Right, which is tongue-in-cheek of yeah. – Oh, by the way, that's already happening. Yeah. So I, I guess there, there is some. I guess it's plausible, as a lot of people are saying, that the market will, the free market will, correct itself. It will, it will balance everything. It will work out after after a certain period of time. But, but people I, operate their businesses rationally. Yeah, that's college football, college basketball Most f- f- boosters aren't rational. So yeah, the, to your point, you we we both said that the. The, the car dealer is not going to keep doing things that are bad for his business, that he's going to go out of business, but he might do things that he, you know, he shouldn't do, but he really wants his team to get that five-star left tackle. So he might do that as opposed to, like, you know, reinvesting in some software for, you know, I'm just making this up, obviously. So it's, I, I'm just kind of sitting back watching as, a, as someone who follows this stuff very closely and, and, my, and my, my job is following college football. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. What did you make of Vanderbilt's first win of the season on Saturday? It beat the alternative. 
Um, <laughs> you know, I, you, you want to put a grade on it, you know, a B-minus effort, I would say. Uh, great start. Well, I was going to say, what happened after the first quarter? Well, you know, I, I asked Kalijah Lipscomb this in the postgame, and, you know, players, you're not going to say things came too easy. I don't know if things came too easy. They had some big plays that they executed, and then, you know, the offense sputtered after that. I don't know if it's because they got up 14 nothing and, and they thought that was going to be an easy game or if they just didn't execute those next drives. You know, both teams didn't really move the ball up and down the field consistently. They, consistently, they both had some big plays. Nor, uh, Northern Illinois specifically had some huge third-down conversions that were Vanderbilt really could have kind of ended things, and they converted on third down there. So um, I thought the defense, you know, it, defense had some issues, giving up some big plays, like I just said. But if you hold the team to two touchdowns, you're, you're, doing, you're doing a good thing. Um, offensively, I'd like to see it go downfield a little bit more would be my critique. You know, Keyshawn Vaughn continues to amaze. I mean, just running the ball. Um, they got Kalijah Lipscomb involved a lot. A lot was made about getting Jared Pinkney more involved. And they, one, one catch. Yeah, they need to do that, um, no, no doubt. And, you know, Derek Mason acknowledged that after the game. Um, but, you know, only 54 offensive snaps. Um, Keyshawn Vaughn got the ball 20 times, 17 catches, three receptions. Kalaj Lipscomb, I think, had eight receptions. So, you know, it was a low possession game, a low snap game. So it wasn't like sometimes you have 80 snaps. And so I'm not making an excuse why they didn't get Pinkney more involved. But, again, they only had 54 snaps. So um, would have liked to see them play better to feel better about their chances in other games. But there's, you know, it's not like college basketball where you're trying to uh, impress the selection committee. You, you need to win the game and, and try to get to six or, or, or more if you're Vanderbilt. But, again, if you really think they can win more, you would have liked to see them play better. Keyshawn Vaughn has the big run for a touchdown. It's called back. Very next play, freshman Brooks off to the house, touchdown. So it was meant to be that touchdown. What what can you tell us about this kid? Yeah, he was um, – He was, was Keon? Yeah, Keon Brooks, true freshman from uh, outside of Atlanta. He was committed to Arkansas State, and Vanderbilt got him to decommit, and they were really sweating you know, with the early signing period because they really thought they found a diamond in the rough – and there was talk that he wasn't going to, even though he, he decommitted from Arkansas State and then committed to Vanderbilt like in mid-December, and then there was talk that he was going to wait until the February signing period, and that's usually bad news. That usually means, oh, I think I'm getting, you know, some bigger schools are going to come in. So, But he did sign on signing day, and they have really high hopes for him. He has not really done much, and not many carries. Like he's had, before that he probably had like 10 carries for 12 yards, you know, against good teams, but had been bottled up. And the, But he showed his speed and a nice cut in that run. So, you know, with Jamari Wakefield out, he's going to have to, you know, take on a bigger role. But he's a guy that probably would have redshirted had Wakefield not gotten hurt. But I know they feel they're, they're really happy they got him. All right, we'll come back more with Mitch Light on the other side. Athlon Sports and Vanderbilt sideline reporter here live at Centennial Sportsplex, ESPN 1025 The Game. Talking with Mitch Light from Athlon Sports, talking college football. We're here at Centennial Sportsplex checking out the Predators practice. They're in the rink next to us. So, yeah, we really are at the rink. You just can't hear them right now. They may be coming over here, but got a little fog issue on on the rink that we are. So, so. it could be anywhere. We could be set up at, like, you know, <laughs> outside. Where we'd be as close to the Predators, right? I think you'd be you, would, you would sense the sweating yes. going on if that were the case. So as we transition from Vanderbilt out to the, the rest of the league as we bounce around, the next opponent is Ole Miss. And I, I found myself saying this, and Mitch, I think it's fair to say, I think you could sense it with the, the players and coaches, that Vanderbilt will have to play better than they played on Saturday if they're going to win some SEC games here, particularly starting on Saturday against an Ole Miss team that I thought had its moments against Alabama. They got shredded like most people will when they play Alabama. But uh, they, 
they flashed some talent in there. Yeah, and, and John Rice Plumley was the quarterback uh, as a true freshman, a really good runner. Now, Ole Miss issued a depth chart today, but we know not to trust depth charts that, that uh, Matt Corral was listed as the starting quarterback and John Reese, Rice Plumley was the second-team quarterback. I talked to Ole Miss Parrish Alford, a guy I know you guys have yeah. found over the years, uh, writes for us at Athlon, and, and, and he was really saying that coaching staff was a lot of pressure you know, on who what they do at the quarterback position going forward. Because I don't know if you recall, they, they brought Matt Corral to media day as a freshman. They did. As a redshirt freshman, which I applaud. You know, sometimes, they don't, like, I don't think Clemson even brought Trevor Lawrence, you know, because he's only a sophomore. <laughs> but uh, Corral played some games last year because the new redshirt rule was able to redshirt, but it really had not been doing much. You know, they struggled offensively, got hurt. Plumlee came in at the end of the Cal game, almost led him to a big comeback. Not much of a thrower, but can really run. And, you know, with combined his skills – with Rich Rodriguez calling plays, that, that's, that's a nice formula there. So I think that's Vanderbilt's biggest challenge, assuming Plumlee plays. We don't know who is going to play that is just, you know, Vanderbilt has not played a running quarterback yet, which is pretty, this this late into the season, you know, they've, they've really played, you know, uh, Joe Burrow's got some running skills, but by no stretch is he a running quarterback. Well, this guy's a run first, so that, that's going to be the big challenge there. Yeah, yeah Vanderbilt's just going to have to play better uh, on both sides of the ball. I think Riley Neal will continue to see him play better. I thought he was pretty good the other day. Again, they didn't really throw the ball downfield much. Um, I think as the game kind of the competition isn't as strong and the game kind of slows down for him at this level. Um, one thing to mention, it was as you guys know, it was really really hot the other oh, day, uh, and I'd have to go back and look a lot. In, I don't know the the mechanics of this, but you know, I don't know if it's because the, the 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 turf was getting a little slippery. I, you know, I managed to hold my footing there, but guys <laughs> guys slipped a lot, and I thought Riley threw a couple nice balls where receivers just came out. One specific to Cam Johnson, where he came out of his break and he just lost his footing. So um, you know, so they, that was a couple times where they did throw the ball downfield a little bit, and they weren't complete. So I'll be interested to see what happens if if they want to incorporate that more into the game plan, but I, I, I suspect there'll be an emphasis on getting the ball to the tight end this week and throwing the ball downfield more. But, yeah, I, I'm I'm interested to see how they play against a, a team where the talent level, where an SEC game against the talent level is a lot more comparable than it was in the first two SEC games. Is this it, a must-win for them? I, I think it, for both teams, I think it's it's circled as as important as, as any other game, right? I mean, the the loser you, of this yeah. game's outlook is not good to if, get right. to a bowl game. If you're going to get to six, you know, right now is one. If you want to say UNLV is two, ETSU is three as a baseline, um, yeah, this one's pretty important. You know, uh, at Florida will be difficult. Missouri at home, I would say, would be the next two most difficult. Um, a lot at of the South other ones, Carolina. yeah, at South, yeah, at South Carolina, obviously. There's a lot of a lot of toss ups in there, but uh, again, the big picture, they need to play better to win those toss up to games. These games against but the SEC. but the, the, you know. That's what happens in football. Guys, teams get better. You know, we've seen Vanderbilt, Derek Mason's teams play their best ball, especially offensively late in the year. I was looking up this stat yesterday, and I didn't finish it, but Vanderbilt has scored at least 35 points against Tennessee, against Ole Miss in the last three games. And my guess is they have never done that against any SEC team ever, like three straight. But then I looked, they've done it against Tennessee as well. So those are two opponents that they played late in the year in recent years that they have played better. So... I'm not going to sit here and say, Chase, just because they didn't play great the other day that they're, that they're not good enough to win those games, but they need to play better. To, specific, to, to specifically answer your question, I would say it's a must-win if you want to get to a bowl right. game. It's massive for Ole Miss in that same respect. Yeah, yeah. for Matt Luke especially. Yeah, yeah. I, I think As that, we've seen over I the years, that, that seed is getting hot. As we've seen over the years, that school administrations don't take kindly to losing to Vanderbilt. I mean, yeah. not as much as it used to. There was a stretch there in the late 90s where, like, five straight teams that lost to Vanderbilt, 
the coach got fired, and the only reason it stopped is because Duke fired Fred Goldsmith, and the next year Vanderbilt beat whoever their I forgot the guy's name, former Florida uh, assistant, so they weren't going to fire him after his first year. So it was <laughs> there was a stretch there where losing to Vanderbilt was not uh, advised. All right, Auburn and Florida. That that's one. Auburn had an, a, a tremendous game against Mississippi State. They had the great crowd going the Saturday night, and they jumped all over them early. There's a lot of skeptics, I would say, about Florida. But the fact that the game is in Gainesville, I, I think this is going to be one heck of a game. Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to this one. You know, I think there were some skeptics about Auburn, even though they had some nice wins, because their yeah. offense hadn't been overly efficient. Bo Nix had been really good making some big plays, some game-winning plays, but hadn't been efficient offensively. Well, you can't really say that anymore. They were they, they shredded Mississippi State. And Florida is, for a team that's you know won at Kentucky, that beat Miami, and was the off the top of my head they have another SEC win, another Power Five win. Um, there's you know we're still doubting them, even though they they've done some good things. Trask has kind of answered the bell uh, at, at quarterback there, so I, I would lean towards Florida because it's at home. If they're, they're, Even though they're, Auburn is favored in the game. Yeah, they're getting a little healthier. I think Florida's getting healthier. I need to do a little more research as the week goes on. But, you know, they've been banged up at uh, defensive line in the secondary. So, But this is, you know, what would you say? It was two-point game? The spread, two? Uh, three, three, according to what I'm looking at here. Yeah, on, so, I mean, ba- you know, ESPN so, you know that, that, that means basically the boys in Vegas think Auburn on a neutral field is about a touchdown favorite. So, um, I, I still have faith. I'm, you know, a big Dan Mullen guy there. And uh, Bo Nix on the road is hard to... Hard to go against him based they've, on his. They've pre- just they they've been the surprise. Yeah, they've been. Yeah, they have. You know, but they look good. Y- you can talk about rankings and, and resumes and all that. I don't think Auburn's the best team in the country. But if you wanted to vote them number one based on their resume, you, you, you could go. You could you could do that. You know, I I think I take Alabama on a neutral field, and I think the the Vegas spreads Clemson, Georgia, all these teams on a neutral field. But for what they've done so far, Auburn has been extremely impressive. How good is Wisconsin in your mind? Are, are they are, are they playing well enough to where you're reconsidering them in the conversation with playoff kind of stuff? I still put them in that second tier. I, I think that the, the first tier is expanded from Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, and then maybe a second tier of LSU, Oklahoma, and who am I missing? Ohio, Ohio State. State. Now I think that first tier is six teams. I mean, I think you can make a really rational argument for all those teams. And then you got Auburn, who is maybe the best resume, but I don't know if I'd put them in that tier. I think Auburn's the captain of that next tier that Wisconsin's in. A um, little troubling that they, you know, they, they, they needed two defensive touchdowns uh, to beat Northwestern. Um, you know, they're very good defensively. Jack Cohn, their quarterback, has been good. I don't know if he's the type that can win you some huge games. The thing about Wisconsin, I know this necessarily wasn't maybe the question, but just think of what Wisconsin would need to do to win a national title. They would need to beat Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. Then they'd need to beat an Alabama or a Georgia and a Clemson. I mean, that's that's three elite right. wins in a row. So, like, in this new era. But the victory would be to get to the playoffs. Yes, yes. They right. could be sort of that team that hasn't been there yet. Right, like you Michigan know, State. Just would be a huge accomplishment. Especially accomplishment. With, with, with the way they, they backslid last year a little bit, and people were saying, oh, you know, you, for years, like people like us that did prediction, you just penciled Wisconsin in. Ten wins, right. running back for 2,000 yards, they're just known quantities. Well, last year, that wasn't the case. People asking Paul Christ, is he really the long-term answer there? Well, so far, they've answered the bell. They've been, you know, very, very good defensively. Uh, uh, Leonard, just, not their, their defensive coordinator, uh, Jim Leonard, uh, has been 
you know, done a really good job. I think in his third full year, people look at him as a future head coach. And I know Wisconsin fans, if you ask a lot of them, they, they'd probably say, I'd rather have Jim Leonard as our head coach. He's a guy, and Paul Chris played there too, but Leonard was kind of a star in that secondary there. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with what they've accomplished so far. Quick question about Ohio State before we go to the break. Was it Were they that impressive? They, they looked impressive in, in a hostile – I mean, Nebraska was so geeked up for that game. They had the Saturday night. They had a, gr- a great crowd. And it was no kind. It was over within five or six possessions. Is Nebraska just not as far along as we think, or is Ohio State that good? There were three games this weekend. Two were on Friday night. One was on Saturday. Where the home team, you're thinking, great crowds. They yeah. were great atmosphere. Wow, this is set up for some really interesting college football games. Yeah. And by the way, I had Mar- to, yeah. Maryland on Friday <laughs> night against Penn State. Virginia Tech at home against Duke. In this game that you're bringing up, and they were all three lopsided duds. Yeah, I was at the uh, corner pub with some friends downtown. Hat tip to the Nebraska couple at the table next to us that <laughs> that, that watched pretty much the whole, didn't say one word to each other. I don't know if they had some other problems in their relationship and they wanted to get out, but that game wasn't really conducive to good times. But uh, to, to answer your question, yeah, I mean Ohio State. The thing about them, it's defense this year. You know, they gave so many big plays last year. They've been so good defensively and. And Nebraska, not as far along as we thought, I thought. Um, but, you know, that, that's what you do in a game like that if you're Ohio State. You take the crowd out early. I mean, it's such a cliche, but you, you don't let them hang around. We've seen them lose at Purdue. We've seen them lose at Iowa. Well, they, there was within five minutes it was clear that wasn't going to happen. They, they, they have been so impressive. You know, I'm looking at they go up 21 points to Florida Atlantic in the opener, but then zero points, 10 points, five points, seven points. You know, again, you could argue that they're the best team in the country. All right, we'll come back. More with Mitch Light on the other side to close out. Hour number two, Darren Donick and Chase, ESPN 102.5 The Game. Darren Donick and Chase, ESPN 102.5 The Game, hanging out at Centennial Sportsplex as the Preds practice and wrap up practice. Mitch Light of Athlon Sports is here with us talking some college football. So we had our, our first coach firing, Chris Ash from Rutgers. And the name that I've seen out there is a name that Tennessee fans know well. <laughs> and familiar with Rutgers. Well, no. There's, well, there's two. There's two there's names. There's actually two. Greg oh, Schiano's one. name is okay. out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I've seen. And but Butch the one Jones. that I've seen today that is emerging as the favorite is Butch Jones. Oh. If there's any, uh, how great would it be Greg Schiano takes over, or Butch Jones, but Greg Schiano takes over Rutgers. They have the miracle Six and six season next year, and they play Tennessee in a bowl game. I think the world would. I, what would happen if either of those coaches? Right. I actually think both. You know, it's a program. New Jersey native, not necessarily a Rutgers fan, but I followed. You know, followed the program growing up. Followed, hope they do well. Um, Greg Schiano. I'm usually not a fan of you know coming back second tour of duties, but I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, he's, he's worked the, in Chapel Hill. He's the only, yeah. He's the only yeah. guy that. Uh, has really won consistently there. Um, but I think Butch Jones also makes a lot of sense. I think he had a good resume when Tennessee hired him. You know, successful head coach at two stops. I think I don't know if the phrase got in over his head was a victim of the whole – like he just wasn't up to the quote-unquote challenge of all the extracurricular stuff that comes with being a head coach at Tennessee. He didn't handle all of that well. At, at, at but Rutgers. that stuff works at Rutgers. Right. Like well, the, the brick by brick crap well, and all that. Well, I'd that say works at, at Rutgers, Rutgers, it's a Power Five job in the Big Ten, but you don't have all of the other BS. You right. know, just the, the, the fans aren't as demanding, the media scrutiny, all that stuff that Butch Jones basically wilted under. You know, all that stuff 
that, that if he if he misstep miss says something that doesn't make sense at a press conference, it's not going to be all over <laughs> Twitter immediately like it is at Tennessee. Oh, don't knock the second tour of duty because that could happen in Knoxville very soon. Phil Fulmer? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I thought you meant Derek Dooley. <laughs> no. We're good. We're good. Not, there. Um, not Derek. So, yeah, I, I think Lane actually. I, I, not I, Doolander. That actually might happen. I, I think Butch Jones would make a lot of sense because I think he's a, a good football coach who, who probably learned some things from, you know, learned some mis- mistakes he made at Tennessee and, and would do a good job. You know, it's all about recruiting, and, and there are players in the state of New Jersey, but they just can't keep them home. I would say Ohio State's defense is not helping his cause either because – they were awful last year, and he's gone, and they're good. Uh, that's a good point. But you know what? You brought up something, though, and you, you seconded it, but the Lane Kiffin piece with Chris Lowe, yeah. kind of trying to make up, saying, you know, make light of some of the real nasty way that it ended and stuff. I wonder if that is a little bit of his vision down the road. Like, if that job came open down the well, road. Well, there's, there's a lot of Tennessee fans that wanted him this time. Yeah. yeah. If, you I, know if he I could mend the fences with a few more people that are bitter, you know what he maybe needs to worry about, little, though, too? Winning more games at FAU. He had that He's first not big well. season. Yeah. Uh, Kendall Bryles was his offensive coordinator who called the plays, and yep. they ran up a ton of points. Bryles left after that. They have not been as good on offense. So while you you know you can look back, and, and what he did that one year at Tennessee kind of jumps out a little bit more than it did at the time. Right now, from just forget all the other stuff, I don't know how enticing of a head coach you know, Lane Kiffin is just based on what he's done. Yeah. If you're going to hire but someone, the jo- but the stock the of the job right. is down too. Right, right. His but stock you, is down. The job stock. If you're going to hire someone at a big time Power Five school, you want someone who's done better at FAU than him. Like you don't, you know, you know, they've gotten blown out by UCF two years in a row. I, I know UCF's in a better quote better league, but uh, I, but it, 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 his resume is not great right now. Isn't this all a moot point though? Because uh, who did he replace at Tennessee? Who did Lane, Lane Kiffin? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Phil Fulmer. Yeah. Yeah. So you think Fulmer's going to hire him? Hire, don't think uh, so. Don't believe that. <laughs> might be, don't believe that. Would be a problem. That would be. That's a dot that will not get connected. <laughs> yeah. You don't yeah. think so. Nope. Yeah. Fulmer's nope. like, uh, no. But so Adam Rittenberg with ESPN put this, because, of course, when one domino falls, then, you know, you, that starts the talk of who's next. And uh, so he puts out from every Power Five co- uh, conference who's on the hot seat the most. He has Jeremy Pruitt. For the SEC being the first one mentioned of getting fired, and we've talked about this, you know, before here a few weeks ago. We've laid out does Fulmer take over? Do you think he gets fired this year? I is don't. It, is it is it I, turning I, that way? It's it's still too early. Uh, you know, right now I would say no. I, you know, let me change my Your mind. Your colleague Braden Gall, I listened this morning. He agrees with you. Yeah, he, I, he I, thinks I, he needs more time. Yeah. Um. I two schools of thought. One is if you're a school and you're observing your coach and you don't think it's going to work out don't prolong the inevitable make the decision uh i think we, we actually talked about that specific because i brought up rod dowhower at vanderbilt yeah. who got fired after two years because it just clearly wasn't going to work out but the problem is usually the person that makes that call like in that case at vanderbilt wasn't the guy who hired him it's going to take phil former's big ego or you know what will he admit publicly that he made the mistake and fire him i don't believe so i think he will give him a third year Barring, you know, just we, they, they have eight eight games to go, right? Yeah, barring yeah. just an absolute collapse. Well, I mean, honestly, what do they have pace to win? I mean, what, three, four? Well, what's the best case? Five? Yeah. Five and seven keep his job? Five and seven probably keeps his job. Okay, but most people think they're more like on a collision course for three and nine, four and eight. But not all, yeah. you know, not, not all four and eights are created equally. Like, they, like last year, my problem with them looking forward to this year was 
that they got blown out so many times, six losses by 25 points or more. Let's say they go 4-8. and eight, They play Alabama tough. They play Georgia tough. And there's really signs of progress. They make a quarterback change, and uh, the offense starts to click late in the year, and you really see signs of progress. That's one thing. If they go 4-8 and eight and they're getting blown out by all the good teams and, and they're still making the same mistakes and they're, they're lifeless against teams they should beat, that's another thing. So that's, you know, I know we're on talk radio here, and that's what we do, but you've you got to kind of let things play out. Right now, I would say he would be back next year. Everyone wants to say that Fulmer would have to admit that he's wrong, and you, that's correct. But at the same time, can't he just, you know, be Philip Fulmer about it and go, hey, well, listen, you know, I, I didn't start this process. You know, you the previous administration, they, they left me with this choice, and so I had to come in and try and clean it up, and this is the best we could do. And, and, what, did I, and what did I paint as the picture a couple weeks ago when I brought this up? Which, oh, by the way, the picture I created is exactly what's in that article. Exactly. If Fulmer takes over? When I said, who did I reference? Mac Brown? I yeah. said, he sees these other older coaches coming back, and he's like, yep. I can do that. Yep. I referenced that two weeks ago on the show. How does he ease everybody? He's like, hey, we don't have to pay another staff. I'll come in. I'll just do it at this. this- I don't want any more money. Just I'll save the school money. I'll just come and take over, and we'll just keep everything status quo and I'll just do it under the AD salary, and that's that. Save the school a bunch of money. That's that's how you get past that. This is what's quoted in the article. If that job opens, it's him, Fulmer, assuming the chair, a source said. I don't see him firing Jeremy and going to the market. Another industry source added, there's no doubt Coach Fulmer wants to be back on the sideline. Said that two weeks ago on yeah, the show. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it makes sense. And you <laughs> laughed at me, Willie. Again, another one you too. laughed at me. We both I, said I didn't, it. No, I didn't laugh at you. A lot of people laugh think at you, Darren. I don't think it's the way to rebuild the program. I just – You think – We'll see. So here, here's, here's I think, for just from an outsider looking in who follows the stuff closely, Mel Tucker was another finalist for the job. Mm-hmm. And I always say it's the job of the AD or the president, the decision maker, to sit in that conference room or whatever for four hours, figure out what makes a guy tick. I can look at your resume. I can say, oh, you're a good defensive coordinator. Or you, you, 247 named you the top recruiter because you were at Alabama. You know, But you've got to figure out what makes a guy tick and whether or not you think he's right for your job. And Mel Tucker has done a really good job at Colorado. And you talk to people out there, great personality, you know, great motivational guy and all that stuff. And he made the decision that he thought Jeremy Pruitt was a better fit than Mel Tucker. Right now, you know, it's Tucker's only, what, five games in his tenure. But right now it looks like he made the wrong call. I, I, I get what you said. Like, the both perspectives are, are, are fair. It's early. But we're, we're seeing one in sports – Coach uh, Brad Osmus was at with the Angels for a year, and they're like, "We're moving on. Like, it's just, it's just not going to." We see in sports, and I get that's pro sports, but college is sure. basically professional. I mean, these coaches get paid so much money. I think when you identify that it's just not the right person, I, I think it's also it's not fair to keep going on and on, especially in this world that they've been living in for a decade plus. But doesn't it doesn't it look bad if? That's the guy he hired, and he's going to step I, in yes, and replace him. I just course. don't think that's a good look. Of course, but Chase, we wouldn't give him a little. You extra brought time? up the scenario, which I was getting to, but you brought you beat me to the punch, and it is true. I mean, how Phil Former's track history of how he's gotten and all these things have happened. Yeah, how did he get the job in the first place? In 1992, how did he become the head coach of the Tennessee Volunteers? How did he become the AD? I mean, so there is a, a pat, there is a pattern of this stuff. That's already been in place for a good while. Yeah. So why would we think that would stop in 2019? There's a reason you don't see Johnny Majors and Philip Fulmer, you know, <laughs> yeah, shaking hands and 
waving together. That bridge was burned a long time ago. It has not been rebuilt. And it is not Napalm. going to be. Yeah. But I will say, even if you think he is not the right choice long term, you need to give him two complete years. Like, barring, you know, 50-point loss. Yeah. yeah, Pruitt, barring 50-point losses in the next three games. You, you know, firing midway through the season. To, through Maybe year three or four, you made like Rutgers just did. But not even giving him two full complete two complete seasons seems, you know, not not really the well, way. Well, I to go. think the problem is what you've already said is the losses have just been so incredibly lopsided. I mean, they're not even in games. It's not they're not losing in overtime. They're not losing thirty five to thirty three. They're they're getting smoked, and these games are over very early on. You're looking at it going no chance, right? And that probably is going to play out this weekend. Yeah. and probably will play out so in three weeks. <laughs> there's a lot of pressure on them to play better. I mean, obviously they want to win the games, but there's pressure on that coaching staff to look better, look more organized. Like you read, did you read on the uh, David Ovens piece on the Athletic? You know about it, the, the the he went behind the scenes with Chattanooga in preparation for the Tennessee game. It wasn't very complimentary to the Tennessee staff. Like Chattanooga had identified tendencies. Well, they can't get organized on defense, and when they do this, everyone knows they're going to do that. Like that was that was kind of eye opening for sure. What is supposedly like the best coaching staff, you know, best set of assistants out there? Can we uh, end with Mac Brown? I mean, what about this story? I mean, they almost pulled off the college football, you know, yep, huge, huge upset. Obviously, they went for two. There was still plenty of time. Clemson could have still won the game, but. How about the job Mac Brown's done? And and by the way, that was referenced in that piece, which was I said Mac Brown and Herm Edwards. They referenced Mac Brown and Les Miles. It was the same concept that I was painting the picture. Philip yeah, Former's looking at these guys, enough. right? These Philip's looking at those guys, going, "If they can do it, I can do it." Right? You know. And yeah. So that was laid out in that piece. But yeah, they, they, what about Mac Brown? Well, clearly he's injected some life and energy in that program. You know, they had two great wins to start the season, then two. Two losses, they lost close games. They basically played five close games. They've won two. Yeah. They've lost three. Applaud the decision to go for two there. You know, Clemson's the better team. You know, you, you, if you can end it on one play, you, you end it. Uh, if you can, obviously that play didn't work. There's a lot of talk about, you know, the play call. It's hard for us from the outside looking in to, to say that, but it clearly didn't work. But, yeah, I mean, he has – I was not a big believer in that hire just because, you know, just trying to go down that well again, but he has he has hired a really good staff. Phil Long was offensive coordinator at Ole Miss last year, and Jay Bateman's been an Army for a long time, very highly respected. So, I've always thought you know North Carolina's one of those sleeping giants too too overused. And I don't know what the ceiling is at North Carolina, but they they should be one of the better teams in the ACC. Good to see you. Thanks for doing this. Anytime. Thanks, Mitch. Mitch Light from Athlon Sports and also Vanderbilt sideline reporter Vandy in Ole Miss this weekend. We will come back. Hour number three of Darren Donick and Chase next.